uh, if you get bored during the sermon, you can pull this out and doodle on it. Uh, just make sure you put your name and address on it. And if you have questions, there are some boxes you can check on the back. Uh, we'd love to have you fill that out, especially if you have a prayer request or if you're new with us. We want to be able to send you lots of spam and junk mail. Um, we want to clog your inbox with, with pointless clutter. That's our goal. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we do want to send you maybe a message or two once in a while, but that's about it. But anyway, if you, uh, if you feel that out, we'd appreciate that. We can be in touch with you. But we are glad that you're here. It's Memorial Day weekend in the Northwest. It rains on Memorial Day weekend, so people stick around, so we're glad that you're here. Uh, we are going to start something today that, that's going to kind of take us for a long time. We're going to kind of go through the summer talking about a lot of the same stuff, but I want to, I want to kick start it today with, uh, with a passage that maybe if you've, if you've been to church before or if you grew up in the church, you've probably heard this. There's a, an old worship song that, that uses this verse as its lyric, but it's in Micah chapter 6. I will read it for you if you don't have a Bible, so you don't have to worry about it, or if you have a smartphone, you can pull out your phone and, and go to Micah chapter 6. Um, while you have your smartphone out, you can check in on Facebook, let all your friends know that you're here. All the cool kids are hanging out on the Creek this morning. And me. All the cool kids and me. But uh, did you get your coffee? Anyway, there's coffee out there. We're out of coffee? That's a good sign. <laughs> Somebody can have mine if you want. But here's the verse, it's uh, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. This is the Old Testament, this is a, this is a prophet who is speaking, and it's kind of, it's, it's kind of a, a poem, so to say, I know, uh, and it was in a different language, so the poetry doesn't, doesn't match what we might, but, it, but it's got a different feel to it than just, you know, narrative, it's got, it's got a little bit different vibe to it, so that's why it might sound a little weird, but um, this is the verse we're going to focus It's not, uh, that doesn't mean just men, it means mankind. Some, some translations say, oh mortal, that sounds a little bit weird to me, so I like to say it says, oh man. He has shown you, oh man, what is good. And then he asks this question, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. We're going to focus on those three things today. To act justly, or we may we will call it do justice, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly. That's going to be what we focus on. Now, it's been said that this verse can, can summarize the whole Old Testament. So, all the books of the Old Testament, you can, you can summarize in this one, one sentence. Of course, there's a lot more to it, because there's a lot, of, a lot of words there. But, to act justly, this is what the Lord requires of us. To act justly, to love mercy... And to walk humbly with your God. Now, on your bulletin, on the front of your bulletin, there are, there's a whole list of verses. And I, what I want to do this morning is just kind of give us a framework of, of this concept in the Bible. So, on the, on the front of your bulletin, down at the very bottom, you'll see, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly, and then a list of verses right there. So, if you want to keep up, you can keep up by, uh, by going through that. I'll start on the left column and go down through that. But, what I would encourage you to do is just take the 
and then look for these for this theme of to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. This is one of the things that that, that I really liked about this church whenever we first came to, to interview. The very first interview that, that I had, one of the things that I loved was, was the desire to, to do justice, um, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. That, that, that this church was dedicated and committed to, to serving the community, to being Christ to the community. You've heard that phrase a lot if you've been around here very long. To be Christ to the community, or like Russ says, be, be Jesus with skin on that we want to be Jesus to the, to the people that, that live in this area. We want to meet their needs. We want to do anything we can to meet a physical, tangible need that they might have. And that was one of the things that I really connected with that I really enjoyed. Because, because in a lot of churches and a lot of places out there in what we would call mainstream Christianity, that's kind of gotten pushed as, you know, to the wayside. It's a second-tier thing. It, you know, it's not as important as, as building the church and, and doing whatever that church is decided needs to be the church. But what I want to present to us this morning is that this is, in fact, probably one of the most fundamental foundational things that we should be focused on as a church. And in fact, we are going to be focused on as a church. You have been, you've been doing a great job at it, and if anything, we just want to, we want to focus our intensity on that and start focusing on what God wants us to do and serving the needs of the, of the community. That's why, you know, we Laundry love is, is tomorrow night. That's one of the one of the tangible needs that we can meet for some people. And so doing some laundry for those who can't afford to do laundry. The food pantry, which we just moved in yesterday, was any if you were here helping move in the food pantry, would you stand? Paul speaking, but from those who were influential, 
they were makes no difference to me. God shows no favoritism between people. There's a pretty big guy, pretty big clue to, to his view. Those, influ those influential leaders added nothing to my message. On the contrary, when they saw that I was entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter was entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, that's a weird church thing, don't worry about that right now. But for he who empowered Peter for his apostleship to the circumcised also empowered me for my apostleship to the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who were Jesus' disciples, in fact, uh, Jesus' brother is in there, and Cephas is, is Peter, and a lot of you know who Peter is, who had a reputation as pillars, recognized the grace that had been given to me. They gave to Barnabas and me the right hand of fellowship, agreeing that we would go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. And this was their one request that they made of Paul and Barnabas when they sent them out. They said, they requested only that we remember the poor. The very thing I also was eager to do. So you can see, Jesus' disciples who were sending out Paul and Barnabas, they said the only, the only thing that they said you need to do is remember the poor. And that's what Paul was excited to do. Now over in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, and just a couple of verses, 17 and 18. But whoever has the world's possessions and sees his fellow Christian in need and shuts off his compassion against him, how can the love of God reside in such a person? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Have you experienced that? Have you ever experienced that in your life? Someone just says, they love you. you know, I, wish, I wish only the best for you. you know, I'm praying for you. That's one of the best ones. I, I'm praying that, that uh, you're not going to starve. Uh, by the way, here's my pantry full of food. But I, I'm praying that, that you won't be hungry. Whoever has the world's possessions, whoever has a full pantry, whoever has a house and a roof over their head, and sees his fellow Christian in need and shuts off his compassion against him, how can the love of God reside in such a person? Let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Let us not love with what we say, but with what we do. Luke chapter 14, 12 to 14, this is, these are Jesus' words. This is a very interesting very interesting one. I encourage you to go. You can even read the whole chapter if you want to get a bigger idea of what Jesus is talking about here. But he's talking about a dinner. He said, also to the man who had invited him, when you host a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors so that you can be invited by them in return and get repaid. But when you host an elaborate meal, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then you will be blessed. Because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So the next time you have a dinner, next time you're having a dinner party, instead of inviting everyone up to, you know, we'll take a step at a time, we're not doing that right now. Um, next, next time you're having a dinner, don't invite all your friends and your family, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the helpless. You get an idea? I just want to kind of share what, what the Bible says on this, and, and, and we'll get into more of these later, but I just want to get, kind of give us a big framework for these concepts. James chapter 1, a lot of people are familiar with James when it comes to this idea, but, but keep looking for, for the idea of justice, keep looking for the idea of mercy, listen for, for the idea of humility or walking humbly. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger doesn't produce the righteousness 
that God desires. Now, righteousness is also one of the words that, get, that gets translated as just and justice. So when you hear that word righteousness, you can think of justice. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now here in the next verse, we get to the idea we were just talking about, about not just speaking, but doing. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So we've talked about that idea before, how you know, sometimes it's easy, especially as you get older, to go look at yourself in the mirror and then walk away and then the vision of yourself in your mind is a vision of you from 15 or 20 years ago, right? The, the older you get, the, the further away the vision gets. So you know, when you get up and be 35 or 40, it's 25, 30 years. Was that idea of looking in the mirror and forgetting what you look like, going back to what you did. But, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, that's fancy talk for, for the Bible, but then continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now, pay attention here. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. We've all heard that word religion, and it drives a lot of people nuts, it drives a lot of pastors nuts. I don't really like the word religion. But listen to this. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The kind of religion that God accepts, look after widows and orphans in their distress, keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And we'll find here in just a minute that the other kind of religion is actually, is actually disgusting to God. It's something that God does not want any part of. And that's what, that's what we get into here in just a second in Micah chapter 6. But one more before we get there. Matthew 23, 1 through 11. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the experts in the law and the Pharisees sit, sit on Moses' seat. Therefore, pay attention to what they tell you to do, but do not do what they do. Those are strong words. Jesus, who's looking at the, the, basically the pastors and all the church leaders, all the church people of that day, he's talking about them, and then what he says to his disciples, he says, pay attention to what they say, but don't do what they do. Kind of sounds like when you're a parent, right? Do as I say, don't do as I do. So, but Jesus is saying, pay attention to what they say, because what they're saying is right, but don't do what they do, but then he gets into it. For they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads, hard to carry, and put them on men's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing even to lift a finger to move them. It's not talking about a physical weight here, although that may very well happen. But it's talking about the burden of, of doing all of these things that they call the law. You know, if you read through the Old Testament, you see all these to follow. Plus, they have thousands and thousands of other rules outside of what we have written down in the Bible. And, and he's talking about, he says, they're putting a burden on all these people that they have to live this way, but they themselves aren't even trying. They're putting this burden to live by all these rules, by this religion, but they're not even making an attempt to live that way. 
They do all their deeds to be seen by people. They do everything that they do. The only things that they do, you might say, are those that, that get them attention. They're doing the things because they get the pat on the back. They're doing the things because it feels good. Right? They're doing the things because that's what they want. They're not doing the things because it's the right thing to do. And then, for they make their phylacteries wide and pass as long. That's the phylactery was a little, a little box that they wore kind of like a watch or a necklace or you know maybe around their forehead sometimes. And then it just had a couple verses in it that they were supposed to it helped them remember to live according to these verses, right? But but in there, uh, and what they would do, they would make them big and flamboyant. Kind of sounds familiar. Big and flamboyant with long tassels, so so it looked like they were doing all of these, you know, these religious duties and all these things. And, and look at how how religious we are. They love the place of honor at banquets and and the best seats in the synagogues and the elaborate greetings and the marketplaces and, and to have people call them rabbi. So you can see they just they like getting patted on the back. They like how it feels when they get the attention. But then Jesus says. But you're not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no one your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humble. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Do you see that idea of being humble? That, it, that it's not, you're not trying to exalt yourself, you're not trying to, to lift yourself up so that you get the attention, you get the pat on the back, but instead you're trying to do the things that, that exalt Christ. So the only way to exalt Christ is to humble ourselves. Now there are, those are some of the ideas. Let's get to Micah chapter 6, 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. So we, we see this, you know, Old Testament worship wasn't like it is today. It's not like, you know, we come into the church and we sing a few songs and you get bored listening to some guy talk for too long. But you, you would go and you would offer sacrifices. Now, now what we read in the Bible is that, that the price of your sin required blood. So you had to shed blood to pay for your sins. So that's why you hear about this, these things in, in the Old Testament about sacrificing blood to cover for your sins. And so, so these are all sacrifices. And, and then look, look what happens here as we go through it. What shall I, what, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? So he's asking the question, how am I supposed to come before God? What am I supposed to do when I come before God? And then he keeps asking these questions. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? So burnt offerings is kind of the, the low level of the offering. It's like the first thing that you offer is the burnt offering. So if you were poor, that would be what you would offer. Or with calves, a year old. So you'd have to have a little bit more money to have a calf. Calf. Calf, calf. Um, you have to have a little bit more 
just going to bring a cat or burnt offerings? Or, or look at the next one. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Only a king would be able to bring thousands of rams. So it's getting outrageous. And then it's totally outrageous because should I bring 10,000 rivers of oil? Well, it's totally unfeasible in all of the existence of the world to have 10,000 rivers of oil. So you just see that the stakes are getting bigger. You know, am I supposed to bring all of this stuff? Should I offer my firstborn? Should I, should I offer my own child as a sacrifice for the Lord? And then at the very end, or the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Should I sacrifice myself for my own sins? You see, just the, the sacrifice goes from, from the poor to the most, you know, enormous, huge, unthinkable sacrifice you can make being yourself. And it says, He has showed you, man, what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? So this is this is what drives a lot of a lot of us crazy is religion. Religion is part of the laws that you think that you do that get you close to God. But if you don't know this, you cannot do enough good to get to God. You cannot do enough good to get close to God. In fact, all of the good that you do might even get you further away from God. Because look at the teachers that Jesus was talking about, the, the religious leaders of the day. He was hardest on them of all the people that he talked to, of all the people that he condemned when he was on the earth. He talked hard to the religious leaders, the religion of the day, because they were so far From God, because you don't do things to get close to God. The only way to get close to God is through the gift that God offers us, us, and that's through His Son Jesus Christ. Now, in pretty much every way, the New Testament takes what the Old Testament did and bumps it up about ten notches. So when you hear Jesus talk. You hear him say, he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. He didn't come to, to do away with the Old Testament. He came to, to finish it and to bring in a new way of thinking. So the new way of thinking, then, is greater. So it's not religion, it's not sacrifices, then what is it? The new way of thinking is the song we sang this morning, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The new way of thinking is surrender yourself. Which we saw in this passage was the highest sacrifice you could get to and still go nowhere. But Jesus calls us to surrender ourselves and then come under His grace to live our life in His way. We see the Old Testament talks about, um, you know, what, remember the Ten Commandments, right? That the Moses got, and you see them on the tablets, and probably look nothing like what you see, but it said, well, you know, don't murder, right? Thou shalt not murder. I'm sure Moses used the word thou. Thou shalt not murder. Um, but then what does Jesus say in the New Testament? He says, anyone who has hatred in his heart for someone has committed murder. 
So you see it's just, it's just stepped up by a, a, you know, a huge percentage. Or, or you know, the, the, the Old Testament said, you know, don't commit adultery, covet your neighbor's wife. But what does Jesus say? Anyone who lusts in his heart has committed adultery. You see, it's just, it's taking what was and amps it up. So what does that mean about this? If in the Old Testament he's talking and says, I'm not going to be pleased with the burnt offering, I'm not going to be pleased with the calf or pleased with the thousand rams, or I'm not going to be pleased with ten thousand rivers of oil, or even your firstborn or your own body, this is what I'm going to be pleased with. What do you think it means when the Old Testament says, this is what you need to do, what do we need to do then as we live today? To act justly, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. In fact, Jesus actually references this idea in Matthew 9, 13, that's on your bulletin too. And he's talking to the religious leaders of the day. He says, go and learn what this saying means. I want mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. And then they go away, and then they come back to Jesus a few chapters later, says, if you had known what this means, I want mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. So Jesus himself says, this is, this is what you need to learn. This is what you need to figure out. I want mercy and not sacrifice. And then in James, we, we, we read this about mercy. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Later in James chapter 3, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. See, that was, that was part of the big problem that Jesus saw with the religious leaders, is they were hypocrites. And he called them that. He called them vipers and hypocrites. How would you like Jesus to call you a viper? <laughs> you viper, brood of vipers. Hypocrites. They were hypocrites. They were full of hypocrisy. They, they had no idea what, what mercy meant. And they would, they would force people to live under these ridiculous laws. And then, and then they, would, they would crash and burn under them so that it looked, made the religious leaders look even better because, oh, look at me. I keep them all the law. But Jesus says to them, that's not what I want. Hey, geniuses, I want mercy. Don't you wish Jesus was a little more sarcastic than he was? Um, but it's not written down because you know, it's not the most important part of the Bible. But hey, moron, mercy, not sacrifice. For us today, it would be mercy, not religion. Mercy, not do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Mercy. All right, so if we're, if we're talking about justice, doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly, well, then what in the world do those terms mean? Well, 2 Corinthians 9, 9 says this, As it is written, God has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness, which is the same word there for justice, endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. 
Did you hear that? God has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness, his justice endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower, God, who supplies seed to the, slow, to the so, sower, not the slower, and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness and your justice. God is the one who provides everything. God owns the whole world. God, you know, you, you've heard us say the, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If God made it, it's His. If God made the whole world, it's all His. Everything that, we, that we're sitting on right now, it's all His. It's all from God, and God, God made it so that we could use it for Him, not so that we could use it for ourselves. But the earth is the Lord's and everything, everything in it. So if He supplies what the poor need, if he supplies to the sower and bread for the food, uh, bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. As God provides, and when we've said this before, when God, when you turn to God for your needs, and not only when you turn to God for your needs, but you want to help meet the needs of other people, God is going to provide what you need to meet those needs. God, God is the sower. God provides the seed, and when you are using the seed and the bread and everything that God gives you way that God wants you to use it, then he's going to provide for it because he can trust you with it. God isn't going to send you a lot because you want to build up your own house and your own kingdom and your own way of life and you want to pad your bank account and you want to pad you know, your comfortable lifestyle. But God wants to send you stuff so that he can send it out and meet the needs of the world who haven't heard So that's what we mean when we talk about justice. That, that yes, that it, it talks about the state of him who is as he ought to be, righteousness, the condition acceptable to God. Yes, yeah, we mean that, but but in a narrower sense, justice or the virtue which gives each his due. Now we're not talking about Robin Hood here, okay? No, we're, not, we're not talking about taking from the rich, stealing from the rich, and giving it to the poor. That's not biblical. Stealing is not biblical. And if stealing wasn't biblical in the Old Testament, certainly not biblical in the New Testament. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about stealing, but we're talking about you know, giving from what God gives us to meet the needs of others. So let me read this for you, because I want you to hear it the right way, not the way that I might mess it up and say it here. There are many verses in the New Testament that admonish Christians to practice the lifestyle of righteousness, doing right, obeying the law of God, and to pursue justice. It's not optional. We do need to live that way. And that's not what I'm saying this morning, that it's, that it's optional to live that way. It's integral to being a Christian. From God's perspective, a Christian who does not pursue justice in society is an anomaly. A Christian who does not pursue justice in society is an anomaly. But it's absolutely essential that the justice pursued be defined according to the Bible. So remember we were talking about how, the old, how Jesus came and, and he just amped up everything from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Well, the whole Old Testament talks about righteousness. So if Jesus is amping up everything, what do you think that means for us in the New Testament? That there's a level of righteousness that, that we should be living, but we can't live on our own. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus stands in the middle. And he, you know, he comes in the middle for us so that we can live the life that he calls us to live. So if it's Christ in us, the hope of glory, we've said that before. 
but if it's Christ in us empowering us to live and work and do the right things, if it's not us obeying all the laws and all the commands, but it's Christ in us doing what Christ can do through us and we cannot do through ourselves, then what should the righteousness and the justice look like now? If righteousness and justice look like helping the poor and it was your responsibility in the Old Testament to do these things, and then Christ comes and he empowers us to live a righteous and a pure and a holy life, then what should our righteousness look like in the future? What should the church's righteousness look like in the future? What should we be at now, thousands of years after Jesus has come? Should we be throwing away the things that we used to do in the Old Testament, or should we be pursuing them to an even greater extent? It's a righteousness that, that doesn't come from the law. It's, it's a righteousness that doesn't come from the way of doing things, but we can achieve them on our own. It's a righteousness that comes from God. And this is why it's, it's integral to being a Christian. From God's perspective, a Christian who does not pursue justice in society is an anomaly. I really want you to remember that. Hear that. Let it sink in. A Christian who does not pursue justice in society is an anomaly. Because a Christian who is full of God's love, a Christian who is full of Christ, who has the Spirit living in them, and the Spirit is helping them do the things that only the Spirit can do, it's impossible for that person to not seek justice. Because that's what God wants. So that's what we mean when you hear us talk about doing justice. We mean, we mean doing justice God's way. Love mercy. Everyone is probably pretty familiar with the idea of mercy. Kindness. Goodwill toward the miserable and the afflicted. Joined with the desire to help. But there are, there are three kinds of mercy. There's man-to-man there's -man mercy. That's more along the lines of justice like we were just talking about. Then there's mercy from God towards man, and then there's the ultimate mercy of Christ. So when we talk about mercy, that's what we're talking about. That, that the mercy that we want to be about as a church is the ultimate mercy. Yes, we want to do everything we can to meet the tangible needs of everyone who needs, who needs something. We want to do those things because we should do those things because that's what the church should do. But that's not the end. We're not doing something just so somebody can have clean clothes and somebody can have a full stomach. If we end there, we fail as a church. We have to go to the next step and show them the mercy of Christ that can save them from an eternal, painful separation from God. Instead, we want them to be eternally connected in a loving relationship with God. Do you see the difference? If, if we just give them food and send them out the door, if we just wash their clothes and send them home, then why bother? If we aren't being Christ to them, Christ in us, the Holy Spirit in us, empowering us to live the kind of life that only Christ can empower us to live, if, this, if that's not happening when we are meeting these needs, then what's the point? The point is to bring people to Christ. You don't get any notches on your belt for, for doing good things. You don't get notches on your belt for, for feeding the poor. You get notches on your belt because people come to Christ. And the thing that we need to remember is that it's not us. That's where we get to humble. Walk humbly. We need to kind of forget about this negative this negative mindset about humility 
and embrace it as a church. We live in a culture, and this is, we're going to kind of go here in the next few weeks about, about where we are as a culture. But we live very much in a culture that's all about me. We live in a culture that's all about what I can do for me, how I can make my life better. All of advertisement, right, is you need this, even though you don't need that hose, the, the expanding, shrinking hose, you know, you know what I'm talking about? The, the magical, what is it called? Anyone know? Like you plug it in and it like gets all weird like a snake. But the thing I don't understand is when you squeeze it, then it shrinks back up. So like it's a 75 foot hose, but you squeeze it and then you lose 25 feet. So, but you know, but you need this because you know normal hoses are too heavy and you can't work and fuss with the hose. You know, so it's all built around what you need. You, you know, you need, you need, you need only that hose. You've got a hose. You don't need that car. You've got a car. You have, what's the point? I'm at. You, heard me say this before, I don't understand, and if you like nice cars, I don't mean to, to slam you, but I don't understand nice cars, because I just need a car to get me from home to work and wherever else I need to go. Um, if you get a nice car and you're too afraid to get out in traffic, then you probably shouldn't have bought the car in the first place, it's probably a little too nice, and so that's why I like to tailgate some of those guys. <laughs> it's just why I can be real. No, no, no. But, but see, all of, you know, kind of all of society is built around me right now, right? I mean, with, can you see that? Do you see that in culture? How, how we want to do everything we can to, to you know, add an income to our lives so that we can retire early, so that we can sit on the couch and watch more TV. That's, you know, that's a big grand goal. Maybe, you know, we want to travel, right? We want to travel the world so we can see everything we can see. I want to travel. I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that I don't want to do these things because I do. I do want to travel. I, you know, I do want to have more money in my bank account. I want to be a little more comfortable in that regard. But, but that's not the point. And the opposite of, of that worldview, that way of thinking, that, you know, that paradigm that you might be used to, is humility. Humility is the opposite. And that is what we are commanded to do in the New Testament. In fact, if you, if you don't believe me, go read Philippians chapter 2. It's my favorite passage. Later in, in a couple weeks, but it's my favorite passage in all of Scripture because it talks about Christ. What does it say? Christ, who had every reason to boast, who came from heaven, he did what? He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, which was the most embarrassing, painful form of punishment known to man. They put a lot of thought and effort to make a crucifixion the most painful, hurtful, embarrassing moment for their criminals that they wanted to display and make an example of. He became obedient. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, the most embarrassing death he could die. He humbled himself as far as he could possibly humble himself. So if we look at Old Testament, Old Justice, Jesus coming, New Justice, Old Testament, Old Mercy, Jesus coming, New Mercy, what do you think that means for humility? Old Testament, Old Humility, Jesus comes, we should humble ourselves and become obedient to whatever Christ calls us to do. So humility, to, to walk humbly, is to make low, to bring low, to, to reduce to a plane, it's, it's to assign a lower rank, 
to abase, to, to lower, to depress, to have a modest opinion of oneself, to behave in an unsuited manner, to being devoid of haughtiness. It's the opposite of selfishness. If you really want to know what humility is, it's the opposite of selfishness. That's what God calls us to do, to be humble. So here in Micah, God has been faithful. We didn't cover that, but in the first part of chapter 6, God has been faithful to his people, and his people have responded to his faithfulness with religion. With outward religion that conceals the corrupt inner who they are and that God actually sees. And what, what they were doing, they were actually oppressing the poor. The wealthy were oppressing the poor. The wealthy or religious leaders were oppressing the poor. They were cheating them with dishonest weights and measures. They were selling their services as religious leaders to get money for themselves, like baptizing dogs. I don't know that they're doing that. It's just one of the things that I've seen today. A church will baptize your pet for like $30 or $40 as a fundraiser. I mean, we're not going to start baptizing pets. <laughs> but this people, the people that we're talking about might assume that as long as they kept up their temple worship, the sacrifices, the you know, bringing animals for sacrifices, that the Lord would continue to bless. But Micah, this commission, Micah has to tell them that this is the exact opposite. So do you see that the default religion of man is a race toward works? Do you see that? That, that, that our default religion is doing to accomplish righteousness. What must I do to get God's favor? But God doesn't want works, religion. Said so he wants people who practice justice, who love kindness and mercy, and walk humbly with him. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. It's not sacrifice, it's not religion, it's not doing things for attention. But what the Lord requires of you is to act justly, to love mercy. And walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that, that, that we don't have to live perfect lives for you to love us. We thank you that we don't have to live a specific way in order to get grace, but that you offer it freely. If there's anyone here who, who needs that grace this morning, Father, I just pray that, that they would follow you in that. That they would be willing to take that step toward you, to, to step away from living a life of religion, to living a life of grace. But Father, may our lives be so full of you that we, that we overflow Christ to the community, to the people in our lives, to, to our friends, to our family, that we, that we just overflow with, with the love of God and that work in our hearts. Father, may we not try to accomplish these things in our own, but Father, we ask that you use us 
do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly. We give you the glory, we give you the praise.